Let's read together what the church confesses concerning the second petition in Lord's Day 48 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 48, where we confess the following, what is the second petition? Your kingdom come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. We will voice our amen to the proclamation of God's word after the sermon by singing from Psalm 122. Love congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've come to the second petition, your kingdom come, and I'm sure that's a prayer that you have prayed often. It's not that hard to say. It's only three words, your kingdom come. There is a depth to this petition that it's good to be reminded of. So I proclaim to you the word of God with the following theme. We pray for the coming of God's kingdom, and we will consider that we do this, first of all, as citizens of God's kingdom, and secondly, as soldiers in God's kingdom. For us to pray this petition honestly and sincerely, we first need to understand what the kingdom of God is. Is it something that's coming in the future? Is that why we pray that it will come? Or is it here already? After all, God is a king, is he not? We sang about that in Psalm 47. Glorious is God's reign, great is his domain. He rules all the lands, issues his commands, and their princes all gather at his call. Think of the words of Psalm 95, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. So God is King of the entire world. But if that is true today, then why do we need to pray for the coming of his kingdom? If we go to the New Testament, then we hear that the kingdom of God has already arrived. That's how John the Baptist started his preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, Matthew chapter 3. And in the following chapter, the Lord Jesus begins his preaching ministry with the very same words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And in Luke 17, the Lord Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Of course, John the Baptist could say that the kingdom was coming because of the pending arrival of the Lord Jesus. Jesus would begin his work among the Jews. And then he himself could also proclaim that the kingdom of heaven had come since he was inaugurating the kingdom as the Son of God. And he did this through miracles and healing. He had come to bring peace on earth, peace between God and sinners. So through his work on earth, lost children of God could come They could come home again. They could enter God's kingdom and become part of the family of God. They could call on God as their father. 
And through the power of the cross and the spirit of Christ, they could and they did begin to serve and worship God in true faith. So we can conclude then that God is king over all things. He has all power and authority in heaven and on earth, and he is king over his entire creation. No king or human government can do anything against his will. According to Psalm 2, the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain. They set themselves against the Lord, but he laughs at them. The Lord is indeed king. But not everyone acknowledges that he is king. And that is the key to understanding this petition and praying this petition. There are many people who do not want to bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They live in unbelief or they live in opposition to God. They don't even want to admit that he exists. But when the Lord Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you, he is saying, I am bringing people to faith. I am confirming my dominion of grace. By my preaching, I am bringing sinners back to the Father so that they can entrust themselves to his care. They can bask in his love and they can serve him with zeal. It's true, of course, that every person on earth is being used by God to fulfill his purpose, his grand plan of salvation for his people, even though most people don't recognize this or admit this. But it's true. But the Lord wants more than that congregation. He wants things to be like they were in the beginning when Adam and Eve acknowledged God as king. They served him faithfully. They loved him and obeyed him perfectly. And everything was good. And that is how it has to become again. That is how it will be on the new heavens and the new earth. Then God will be honored and served by everyone and everything He will be honored perfectly. That's how it was. And that is how it is going to be. And that is why we pray your kingdom come. But we shouldn't fall into the trap, congregation, of only praying for a future fulfillment of God's kingdom and for the return of Christ. Because if that's the only thing that we think of when we pray this petition, then it's... No wonder that maybe we sometimes have a difficulty praying this petition. I think sometimes when you're young, you might have more difficulty with that than when you get older. When you're young, you still have hopes and dreams, and maybe you're secretly hoping that, well, I hope the Lord Jesus doesn't come back, because I first I would like to get married and have a family, and I would like to do this and that and that, and I won't be able to do that if the Lord Jesus comes back today. And yet the Lord Jesus commands us to pray for the coming of God's kingdom. Now the wonderful thing, congregation, about this petition is that this petition is also meant for our life on this side of eternity. The Lord Jesus teaches us what this petition means for this life and in this world. And that emphasis is also clear from the catechism where the focus on the fullness of God's kingdom only comes in the very last sentence of that Lord's Day. First, it's about our life here on earth. So rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Well, that's today. 
That's not a request for the future. That's not a request that God would do something about the godlessness and the wickedness in this world. No, this is a request for ourselves. This is a, we have to remember that Lord Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples. Right? May I submit myself more and more to your word. So this, this is not a, a petition that's piously asking God to please take care of all the problems and all the sin in the world around us. Right? With this petition, we are, we are actually admitting, honestly admitting to our Father in heaven that the problem lies in our own hearts. And we need to admit that. Because often we ourselves are somewhat rebellious citizens in the kingdom of God. We like to be our own boss. We like to determine for ourselves what is good. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? And we're so busy with our own thing. Our work, our studies, our career, sports, making money. The majority of the time we're so busy with ourselves, so busy furthering our own interests, we have little time left for the kingdom of God. But the Lord Jesus says that if this is how you live, you're living like a pagan. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. They're worried about what to wear and what to eat and what to drink and about tomorrow and how they're going to make the money and how they're going to spend the weekend and how they're going to do this and that. Right? The life of an unbeliever revolves around the here and the now. Good-looking bodies, clothes that show off, your best features, being able to enjoy this life to the best of your ability, being able to die on your own terms. But the Lord Jesus says that is not how the children of the kingdom ought to be living. We must first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And, and all those things that unbelievers worry about, God says, I'll take care of that for you. You don't have to worry. And then Jesus points to the flowers and the birds. Birds live a carefree life. And they're not disappointed in God's care for them. The Lord feeds them all. And the flowers, they're so beautifully clothed that even Solomon in all his glory was not comparable to a flower. Well, Jesus says, if that's how God cares for the flowers and the birds, will he not take much better care of you? Does that sound too good to be true? Do we, do we really believe that? Does that sound a little unrealistic, perhaps, to say that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow? Because the reality is that we, we, we do, don't we? And we prefer to have matters in our own hands. And, and isn't it also partly that we, we don't really expect always expect God to take really good care of us? Jesus says we are people of little faith. We confess that God takes care of us. We confess his providential care, but often we worry like unbelievers, don't we? And that shows up in how we live. 
The Lord says through his prophet Malachi, Give me your first fruits and see whether or not I will pour out my blessings on you. Give me of your first fruits. And we all need to learn how to do that because we naturally want to wait until the end of the month and give of our last fruits. If there's any left over, that is. And then we wonder where the blessings are. Now we're so busy and we're always in a hurry and we're doing our own thing. We don't always have that much time to read the Bible and to pray. And then we wonder why we don't feel close to God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Pray your kingdom come. Rule us by your word and spirit, so that we might more and more submit to you. Lord, give us grace, so that we don't want to just be our own boss. But give us grace to submit to your word. Give us grace to listen to your word. You see, when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying for the grace to be obedient. We are praying for the grace to be humble, to be obedient citizens in the kingdom of God. That you would listen to God's word, that you would live according to it, that you would be, have a repentant spirit, that you would be a faithful and living member of the church. Because... It is especially in the church that the Holy Spirit wants us to be faithful citizens and soldiers in the kingdom and in the army of Christ. You see, when you pray your kingdom come, that means, Lord, help me to be a faithful member of the church. Faithful in reading the Bible, faithful in attending the worship services, allowing your word to guide me always. And when we pray that way, We also have to realize that the coming of the kingdom has everything to do with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't separate the two. And we shouldn't put the kingdom ahead of the church. There are Christians who claim that as long as you are working for the kingdom, you don't have to worry too much about the church. That's not so important. If you're busy with all kinds of kingdom activities, your church membership, that's not so important. Your church attendance, whatever, that's not a big deal. As long as you live the Christian lifestyle... Being a member of the church isn't even important. But then we cannot pray your kingdom come honestly and sincerely. It's more than a petition. It's a confession too. Because there is only one kingdom, isn't there? And God's kingdom is not divided. And so whoever prays your kingdom come, you're making the confession then and you you realize that the disunity of the church on earth is something that is a sad reality. So it's sad and inexcusable for Christians to treat the church as if the church is not important. Because what is the church? What happens in the church? Well, the church is the place where the Holy Spirit gives citizens of the kingdom the peace of God that comes through the preaching of the word and strengthens their faith through the use of the sacraments. The church is where the Holy Spirit causes God's word to be proclaimed. The church is where we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. The church is where the word is administered by the office bearers of Christ. Men whom Christ gives to us to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
to mobilize the citizens of the kingdom to be active soldiers in the army of God. And that's why we confess in Article 28 of the Belgic Confession that outside of the church there is no salvation. That is, the church is God's ordained norm in the kingdom of heaven. And that that is where salvation is to be found. You don't go to the beach to find salvation. You don't go to Tim Hortons to buy a cup of forgiveness. You don't go to Boston Pizza for spiritual food. Salvation, forgiveness, spiritual food, and all the other benefits of being in Christ are the prerogative of the church. That is where the Holy Spirit works through the Word. So let's not separate the kingdom work from the church. It is in the church that citizens of the kingdom become equipped for work of ministry and for works of service. And when citizens are not equipped... They will become exhausted. And when citizens become exhausted, they will not be effective soldiers in the army of Christ. In congregation, that's why it's so important that we seek our strength and that we look to be equipped by the church, the God-ordained means of equipping the saints. And that is why believers must seek one another out. That's why it is the duty of believers to join themselves to the church and to seek the unity of the church. That's why we together call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven. That's a plural pronoun. He is our Father. Together we pray for the coming of God's kingdom. Together we pray that we would submit to his word and spirit. And together we pray for the preservation and increase of God's church. And together we pray that the Lord would destroy the works of the devil. And every power and conspiracy that raises itself against his holy word. That means preserve your church from heresy and from apostasy. Lord, bless the preaching and the proclamation of your word. Lord, give us faithful office bearers and faithful ministers and protect the lambs of the flock and bless the instruction they receive. Your kingdom come. That means that we pray for the increase of the church through the birth of children and through the addition of members through the work of mission and evangelism. It means also that we go to work for God and for his kingdom as soldiers in the army of Christ. This prayer congregation is not only deep and broad, but it's also serious because it's a prayer for a time of war. The kingdom of God has many enemies, the devil and every power that raises itself against God and his word. And in the middle of this war, Jesus teaches us to pray for the destruction of the works of the devil and his kingdom. And we need to do that continuously. Already at the beginning of history, Satan began this war against God and his church. He he slunk into the Garden of Eden like a snake where he deceived Adam and his wife. The Bible calls him the ruler of this world. The Bible also says that he is a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. And the results of his rule are devastating, and they continue to be devastating. Deceit, lies, murder, violence, brother against brother, 
Cain kills Abel, and off it went from there. But then comes the gospel. The Lord does not let this battle go on without him. He does not leave us in the power of Satan. In fact, it would be correct to say that the Lord himself unleashed the battle because he said, I will put enmity between your seed and his seed. Right? The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The Lord places the antithesis between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, between the church and the world. But at the same time, he also promised that the victory would be his. Satan's head will be crushed. And he even put his own son at the front of the battle, the front ranks of the battle against Satan. Christ left heaven and he invaded this dark domain that Satan occupies so that heaven and earth can one day be joined together again. And the Lord Jesus didn't do this by bowing to Satan. He didn't make any compromises. He didn't enter into negotiation with the arch enemy. No peace talks with the devil. But he won the battle through his perfect obedience, even being obedient unto death. And when he had fulfilled all that he had come to do, he received all power in heaven and on earth, and the name that is above every name. So Christ has won the victory. Satan has been defeated, and his final demise is guaranteed. But that doesn't mean, however, that he doesn't have any power left. The Bible says that he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. He wants to get you. And he has mobilized a whole army of demons to help him. And that is why we're also called to be soldiers in the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And he says at the end of that piece that we read from Matthew, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He means that every day, has enough for us to take care of. Every day there are plenty of sins to fight against in our own life. And in the middle of that battle, we have to pray, your kingdom come. Father, teach us to fight against sin. Teach us to seek your kingdom. Teach us obedience. Give us your grace and Holy Spirit and help us. We need this prayer to be good citizens and good soldiers in the battle against sin. Because there are so many things that can lure us away from living according to God's word. Right? It's so easy to worry about tomorrow, isn't it? It's so easy to live for the here and now. It's so easy for us to bow to the idols of materialism and wealth and prosperity and fun. And then, then when we go in that direction, it's also easy to make compromises with God's law. And we give ourselves excuses and we think that, that God will ignore our sins. And we allow ourselves to get away with not living according to God's law. Just because we have not committed the act of murder or we have not committed an act of adultery, that doesn't mean we have kept God's law. And in the meantime, we sometimes think little of calling people's, people names 
We're easily provoked to anger. As we heard this morning, we're not always living in gentleness towards one another. You see, when we spend little time in the Word of God, or we keep our prayers to a minimum, then we are preventing God's kingdom from coming into our lives and ruling our lives. And so we need this petition, congregation. If we are to be soldiers in the army of Christ, we need this petition. We need this petition in the battle against apathy, in the fight against our our lack of zeal for the church, and in the struggle to keep up the discipline of daily Bible reading and prayer. These struggles teach us that this petition is necessary in this ongoing battle. But the wonderful thing about this petition, too, is, congregation, that when we take these words on our lips, we know with absolute certainty that God's kingdom will come and his church will overcome. And let's not make the mistake of thinking, well, that's only going to be true when Christ comes back. No, that prayer is answered today already in our life. We experience the answer to this prayer. For example, when babies are baptized, we pray this prayer for them. Father, always govern this child by your Holy Spirit, that he may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. May he live in all righteousness, valiantly fight against sin and overcome the devil, the world, and his whole dominion. May he forever praise and magnify you. That's what it means to pray your kingdom come. And boys and girls, the fact that you are sitting in church, that's an answer to that prayer. The prayer that was prayed at your baptism. The Lord really does preserve and increase his church, doesn't he? And so we may see and experience God's answer to this prayer. We may see his faithfulness in the church. The dying of our old nature, the coming to life of our new nature. God's kingdom is coming. And it continues to come in the lives of his children. We also see the answer to this prayer whenever others come to faith in our own communities and through the work of missionaries. It might often seem to us as if Satan has the winning hand, as if he is winning the battle on so many fronts. Because even in our own lives, there is but a small beginning of the kingdom of God. And our victories over sin are not always so spectacular. And our failures often cause us grief and pain. Congregation, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, listen to this. When we enter the battle, God also gives us grace. Gives us the grace to experience how good and wonderful it is to live in obedience to him. And the closer we live to him, the greater peace we find in our hearts. And when by God's grace, we more and more live according to his commandments, then we also will increasingly receive assurance of faith. And when we begin to see how delightful it is to live in obedience to God, even while we recognize that we often fail, 
then the longing for complete victory also becomes stronger. And then our prayer, your kingdom come, will also become more sincere. And we will also experience more and more the reality of God's kingdom in our life. I pray that that would be true for each and every one of us. Amen.